How many of you enjoyed worship this morning? Yeah? How many of you really feel like you engaged in worship this morning? Yeah? How many of you that just raised your hands did so because you didn't want to not raise your hands when I asked that question? Yeah? All right? All right. (laughs) So, if you didn't really engage in worship this morning, why? Why didn't you engage in worship this morning? So last week, Pastor Devin challenged us with this question. He said, which areas of my life have I not uh, allowed the story of Jesus to affect, change, challenge, and stretch me? That is to say, you know, what are your sacred cows? You have any of those? What are your idols? What are you not willing to let go of? What is it that you're still clinging to to provide you with a sense of identity and purpose? To put it another way, what are you worshiping? What are you worshiping? And that's what today is about. Worship. Worship. Simple worship. And obviously, as the bass player, I'm the most qualified person in the room to talk about this. Uh, So, what is the essence of worship, right? What is worship really? So to get at this today, we are going to take a journey of firsts through the Bible. If there was an alternative title for this message, you could say first things first, because we're going to talk about the first things and how they show up first a lot in the Bible. It's strange. So, the first instance of the word worship in Scripture, Pastor Larry just read it for you. It's chapter, Genesis chapter 22, verses 4 and 5. It says, on the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place at a distance. Abraham said to his servants, stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will walk up there, worship, and then come back to you. That's the first time the word worship shows up in the Bible. Who knew that? I didn't know that, not until this last week. Blew my mind. So Abe's going to walk up there and worship, right? But we know what Abe's really doing is he's going to go up there and and set his son on fire, right? Entirely burned. You know the difference between a burnt offering and an entirely burnt offering? You know, the priests got to consume the burnt offerings, but the entirely burnt offerings you couldn't consume, right? And of course, there's not really any priests at this time yet anyway. So it's an entirely burnt offering. But he's going to go sacrifice his son, right? He's going to go sacrifice his son. And in this passage, we can see right away that there's this connection between worship and sacrifice. Worship is synonymous with sacrifice. They're the same thing. As an interesting aside, uh, there's also another first in this passage, uh, and it's the word love. It's the first time the word love shows up in the Bible, which I also thought was really neat, and it's referring to the love of a father for his son that he's about to set on fire. It's kind of weird. So what is sacrifice? So to get at this, let's go to another first, right? The first time the word offering and sacrifice appear in the scriptures, 
we got to go back 18 generations to the time of Cain and Abel. In Genesis chapter 4, verses 2 through 7, it says this, Abel cared for the flocks, and Cain farmed the fertile land. Sometime later, Cain presented an offering to the Lord from the land's crops, where Abel presented his flock's oldest offspring with their fat. The Lord looked favorably on Abel and his sacrifice, but didn't look favorably on Cain and his sacrifice. Cain became very angry and looked resentful. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry, and why do you look so resentful? If you do the right thing, won't you be accepted? But if you don't do the right thing, sin will be waiting at the door, ready to strike. It will entice you, but you must rule over it. So right away in this passage, we can see that there are ways to sacrifice that God views favorably. And there are ways to sacrifice that God does not view favorably. So worship is fundamentally about assigning something the highest value, the highest worth, right? We worship what we value the most. That is to say, again, we sacrifice what we value the most. And that's perfectly fine. That's precisely what God created us for, to sacrifice. God is, to the very core of his being, self-sacrificial, right? And he created us with that same desire, that same propensity to make sacrifices. Everyone, every one of you, every person makes sacrifices every moment of every day. How? Every moment. Choices. Choices. Every choice that you make toward an end, towards something, is necessarily a choice away from something else. Usually more than one thing, right? Sometimes those choices can seem passive. Sometimes they're a little more active or intentional. You know, you're all making a choice right now to stay in your seats and listen to me, even though you didn't get Pastor Devin this morning. You know, you thought, well, I'm, I'm here, I might as well stay. But you don't have to. You could get up and go if you wanted to. You know, that's a choice, right? That's a sacrifice. So, uh, you ever been in a movie theater and you really had to pee? Yeah? Everyone? But you also really don't want to miss the rest of this movie, or really any of this movie. Uh, you know, you paid, you paid 10 bucks for it, right? 10 bucks is a lot of money for a movie. But you have a choice to make. You know, do I relieve myself and sacrifice my ability to watch all of this movie right now, or do I hold it in and risk a bladder infection? <laughs> I mean, it's a real choice to make, right? Sacrifice is risk. So, personally, I will not leave a theater. Uh, I've left a theater like once because my son had to pee, and I'm just, mm. Not happening, man. Even if I'm hating the film, I paid good money to see that film, right? And I'm not wasting my money. I ain't got a whole lot of that. Got to make the most of it. But what about during a sermon, right? We'll get up and we'll go pee during a sermon because we got that for free. Yeah? Yeah. So, speaking of money, uh, we've got a class going on right now on Wednesday nights, uh, Intro to Personal Finance, and this class is based on a book by a lady, a lady named Vicki Robin, and she is uh, she's super, 
Uh, but early in this book, uh, she wants to establish kind of a consistent working definition of what money actually is. What money actually is. Kind of like we're doing with worship today. Uh, here's what she says. Here is the only thing you can always say is always true for you about money 100% of the time. You ready? Money is something you trade your life energy for. You sell your time for money. That makes sense, right? You sell your time for money. You have about 8,760 hours in a year. The only real asset you have in your life is your time. Period. You have maybe 650,000 hours in your entire life available to you. This seems like a lot, right? When you think about it, like, oh, I got plenty. But here's the thing. You easily spend half of that sleeping, feeding yourself, and keeping yourself reasonably comfortable, right? So you've got maybe 325,000 hours in your entire life to spend. It still seems really high. Uh, maybe you're already halfway through your life, so you've only got maybe 150,000 hours left to spend. That's all you've got for anything. Everything that matters. The love of your family, your contribution to society, your enjoyment of the great outdoors, your search for meaning, your legacy, and calling the hogs. How many hours have you spent calling the hogs in your life? I wonder what that, that'd be interesting. So money is something that we consider valuable enough to easily devote a quarter of our lives to obtaining, to spending, to worrying about, to fantasizing about, and just generally being concerned with and reacting to. Yeah? Money. It's a big deal. So around here, we like to say that your giving is worship, right? Sounds interesting. So how does this relate to that? If we assume that you're given 10% of your income as a guideline, right, and assume that we're working 40 hours a week, then our weekly financial offering is actually a sacrifice of four hours of our time per week. Four hours. That's it. That's less than an hour a day. 34 minutes and 17 seconds, actually. A day. Now you feel guilty, don't you? Yeah? I'm sorry. Uh, the point is you pay for money with your time. Our time is all we have. It's precious because it is so very limited and so very irretrievable. When it's gone, it's gone. You can't get it back. The past is gone. It's, it's, it's forever, right? So what you do with your money says a great deal about how you understand the meaning and purpose of your own life. You already knew, most likely, that your giving was a sacrifice because every time you did it, it hurt, right? But now maybe you understand why giving is worship. Giving your money costs you these little bits of your life, these little bits of your time. 
these little bits of the irretrievable hours that you have. So, back to choices. All of us are always sacrificing. Why? With our choices, we communicate that one thing is more important to us than some other thing, right? We choose the thing we value the most, the thing we love the most. We're assigning worth to something. We are worshiping. We are constantly sacrificing in order to obtain something uh, to which we assign value or worth. You know, when I was a kid, my life goal was to be in the NFL. You're like, what? You're not big enough. That's what my dad told me too. He's like, son, you got a lot of heart. You play hard, but you're just not big enough. You're never going to be big enough. You can't do that. I'm like, I'll show you, dad. <laughs> and he's right. I was never big enough. I was never strong enough. I mean, I got strong, but I was never strong enough. I was never fast. I was always so slow. But I, I played real hard, always real hard. And I sacrificed a lot of my time in pursuit of that dream, right? Uh, when I went to college, it cost a lot of money, and it cost a lot of time, right? Sacrificing my time and my money to obtain a piece of paper that says that I'm worthy. You know, you might sacrifice something now to save money to afford to buy something later, right? Right now, I'm studying to be a certified personal trainer. Uh, that's an investment of my money. It's a hefty investment of my time that's already very limited. But I want to get that so that I can be insured and help people in that way as well. You know, Kristen, my wife, she sacrifices every morning, every morning, an hour or more of sleep so she can put on makeup. <laughs> we had a pool party last night at the Amakotic Aquatic Park uh, with our Grace Unite group, and, and, you know, there was a part of me that was like, ah, I can't, I, I got to stay home and prepare for this today, you know? And I was like, no, it's stupid. Don't do that. Don't do that. And so I sacrificed my preparation time to go be with my family and my friends, and it was so worth it. But every moment of your life, if you're following me here, every moment of your life is an act of worship. Every irredeemable hour you're awake is a series of conscious and unconscious acts of worship. Every breath you take, every move you make, every bond you break, every step you take. <laughs> All right. We got to have fun, right? So if that's the case, it's not a matter of will you worship, it's what will you worship? Or maybe who will you worship? So God wasn't too pleased with Cain's sacrifice. Again, we have to ask this question, why? I've heard all sorts of ideas about this. 
right? Here's what makes the most sense to me. Remember back in Genesis 22, the passage that, that Pastor Larry read for us, there was this little line when God's messenger says, don't stretch out your hand against the young man and don't do anything to him. I now know that you revere God and did not hold back. God is pleased with our sacrifice when we do not hold back. Cain held back. Does that make sense? But in our passage about Cain, there is yet another first in the scriptures. Any guesses? It's the word sin. Genesis chapter 4, verse 7, the latter half of it says this. If you don't do the right thing, sin will be waiting at the door, ready to strike. It will entice you, but you must rule over it. So there is this apparent connection between sacrifice and sin. It seems like maybe sin is making improper sacrifices. Sacrifices that God does not view favorably. Worship that doesn't please God. Choices that don't please God. Improper worship. That's sin, right? That's missing the mark. There was a guy in the early church named Augustine. Maybe some of you have heard of him. He was one of the more important Christian thinkers of his time. And honestly, much of what this guy had to say still is like really prevalent in, a, in so much of Christian thought even today. Uh, but Augustine had this interesting way of looking at sin. He called it disordered love. Sin is disordered love. Think about that for a moment. Sorry. You'll realize that sin has everything to do with love. God created us to worship Him as an end in Himself, right? He designed us to love other people, to love this planet in a way that would point to His greatness and magnify His goodness. It's in this mode of life that, our, that we find our deepest happiness, right? That's what we were made for. But when sin entered the world, these loves got turned on their head. It's upside down. It's disordered. And now we love the world and we love ourselves as an end rather than God, and we use God as a means to that end, right? Slot machine, vending machine. Yeah. This is improper worship in a nutshell. So, you see, every sacrifice that we make has four main elements. There's you, the person making the sacrifice. There's whatever it is that you're sacrificing. There's who or whatever you are sacrificing that something to. And then finally, why are you doing it? So, for example, you may sacrifice your time to your employer to take care of your family, right? Another example. I may sacrifice my money to the Malco Theater to see the latest Star Wars movie. Makes sense? One more. You may volunteer your weekend to a cause to further the agenda of that cause. Do you see how that works? It's the latter three of these things, these elements, where things can get a little wonky. 
And it's where these acts of love or assigning worth or sacrifice often get a little disordered. See, the only thing that you were created for to sacrifice is yourself. That is, you are not allowed to sacrifice other people or other people's things. It's a real simple concept. But man, do we fail. Uh, The why is a question of value. Again, we sacrifice to obtain something we value. When we sacrifice, it's to obtain something that we want more than the thing that we have. So we either wind up sacrificing something that we are not allowed to sacrifice, other people or other people's things, uh, to obtain something maybe good, right? Or maybe we wind up sacrificing ourselves to obtain something that we have improperly valued, something that shouldn't be valued the way that we are valuing it. Because the only thing that we can rightly sacrifice is ourselves, just as God does. So what we have to do is learn to reorient our acts of worship around self-giving and proper value structures. We can and we should sacrifice for other people, but we must not sacrifice other people. Does that make sense? You know, God shows us this on the cross when he sacrifices himself for others, right? He is giving us a new value structure. I think this brings so much clarity to the Romans 12 passage where Paul says, So, brothers and sisters, because of God's mercies, I encourage you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice that is holy and pleasing to God. This is your appropriate priestly service. Don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you can figure out what God's will is, what is good and pleasing and mature. As an example, we are not allowed to sacrifice our families because that would be sacrificing other people. But we can sacrifice for our families. So long as it is, so long as that's what you're really doing, right? You know, if that, if that stings, you know what I'm talking about. I've been there. I have made that mistake so much. I have sacrificed nearly the entirety of my adult life thus far to the church. And a very hefty portion of that time was to helping build and maintain this church. You know, I found myself in this very convenient position in which my sacrifice to God and my sacrifice for my family working, they were the same thing. Right? Two birds with one stone. Win-win. But what often happened is that I would sacrifice my family to God for the church. A very large portion of my time as a husband and a father were sacrificed at the altar of the church. 40 hours a week minimum, you know, often a great deal more. More often than not, a great deal more. And that was okay because it's the kingdom, right? If you don't get it, you're just not holy enough. 
A year and a half of that time, I wasn't even paid. Full time. Extra holy. I told myself and my wife, if I can just keep pushing, if I can just keep sacrificing, eventually this church will come to a place where I will not have to push and sacrifice so much. And then I can have time with my family. Someday. Not now. Someday. It'll be worth it. I don't think we even went on an actual bona fide date the first eight years of our marriage. Guys, that's pathetic. I'm ashamed of that. We didn't get away together for any kind of a vacation for seven years. Seven years. How could we? Yeah? All of my time was here. And I didn't make enough money to afford it anyway. You know? Kristen, she is such an incredible person to have put up with me through through all of that. One day I looked at her and I thought, my God, what am I doing? I can't do this anymore. You know, I look at my eight-year-old son and think, when did that happen? When did he get so big? I told myself I wasn't going to cry. <laughs> I've missed so much of that kid's eight years because my value structure was disastrously broken. The choices I made reflected that. My acts of worship were very disordered. Ah. So, what we do on a Sunday morning, singing songs, clapping our hands, stomping our feet, thumping strings, how does that relate to this? How is that worship? How is that sacrifice? How does that fit in what we're talking about this morning? To put it another way, what what does worship in that setting, in that way, actually do for you? Does it make you more like Jesus? Does it make you less rude? Does it make you kind? Does it change you at all? If not, why? Is there something wrong with what we're doing? Or is there something out of whack with you? I asked earlier how many of you really engaged in worship this morning. But what does that even really mean to engage in worship like that? It's a choice, right? It's a series of choices. That's what we've learned so far. Every moment there is a choice to lay down your pride and your selfish emotions to allow yourself to be led. Rather than just doing this yourself or thinking that you can. You can't. You can't. There is a sacrifice of self to join the rest of the group. You know, I thought it was fascinating that this, this whole concept of what we do in worship is, is kind of unique to just certain branches of Protestant Christianity. 
most other Christians don't do that. But it's what we have, right? It's what we do. This question of what does corporate worship actually do can be answered this way. How much are you engaging? How much are you engaging? Are you singing? Kind of. Are you raising your hands? You don't have to. But again, why aren't you? Are you embarrassed? Are you resisting something? How much are you really giving of yourself to the thing? Are you actually sacrificing? There's so much ego involved in a corporate musical worship setting. From the people on stage to the rest of the congregation, so much all over the room. You know, maybe you don't like that particular song for whatever reason. Maybe it's too loud today. Maybe it's not loud enough. Maybe you prefer one leader over another. Can you lay that aside? Can you sacrifice your ego to join the rest of the group? The church, as you know, is fundamentally a web of relationship and connection. And what that means is that Zach Allen is not the church. Arnie Sleeper is not the church. We are the church. And as that is the nature of the church, maybe it's the case at least we can make a solid argument anyway, that it's that kind of corporate worship, whatever it looks like, might just be the highest form of worship that there is. Think about that. These acts of invite us to engage deeply with each other and with God. They invite us to lay aside our own desires in the moment. And don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying it's the music or the songs or the band that those things are supreme. Those things are just a vehicle, okay? The worship isn't the worship. The actions contained within the worship, that's the worship. What do I mean? Our cars get us to places, right? They're pretty good at that so long as they're functioning properly. Uh... But most of us are completely ignorant of the inner workings of our cars, right? So, I know I am. What's going on inside of the engine? Yeah? When the insides break down, it no longer functions, right? See, cars are so normal to us that we take advantage of the basic mechanisms of combustion and generating torque. We don't even really think about the thousands of tiny explosions happening constantly three feet in front of us. The same is true for musical worship. It has become so normal to us, so expected of of service, right? So routine that we take advantage of it as a means to an end without an awareness of the inner mechanism. And when it breaks down, we have no idea why this stupid car won't go. Because we're ignorant of how it actually works. We find ourselves lost and frustrated, alone on the side of a road, wondering why everyone else is still going. We find ourselves in the middle of a crowd of people wondering how everyone else is still engaging. 
because we don't get the way it works, because we're holding back. Does that make sense? So, to get back at the heart of simple worship is to awaken this realization that it is fundamentally about those inner workings, that heart of sacrifice. I want to give you guys one more chance to do this today. Do we have time for that? Cool? All right. One more chance to do this today. You have a choice to make right now. Will you engage? How much of yourself will you give to this simple act of worship? Will you sacrifice your pride? Maybe you think this is dumb. Maybe you're rolling your eyes at me right now because maybe it is dumb. Can you let go of that? Maybe it'll be awesome. Maybe it won't. Does it matter? Can you let go of that? Can you let go of whatever agenda you've got going on in your head? right now, lay it down, and engage for real. Can we do that? All right, I'm going to pray for us. God, we give you completely this time. We give ourselves to you completely right now. We lay aside our pride, our ego, our desires, our agenda, whatever it is we've got going on after service that we're so concerned about. We put those things down at your feet, Lord, and we meet you here this morning. In Jesus' name.